welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Apex Race Manager, the mobile management simulator. My name is Michael Laminato, and on this week's edition, the Mexican Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton wins the driver's title in his worst race of the season. And all of Renault's engines hyperventilate at once. That's all to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. It was a championship-deciding Mexican Grand Prix. Strategically interesting. I don't know if the correct word is tension, but maybe we can work on the definition as we go. To look back on it with me, I'm joined by Terry Saunders from For Formula One Sake. Terry, how are you doing? I am good. I am good after a bit of Mexican drama. Not drama, no, Mexican <laughs> waiting. It's like waiting in a queue. <laughs> Some... Mexican waiting is it's it's a much less exciting kind of Mexican wave, I imagine. The <laughs> yes. thing you do while you queue to get into the cricket ground, I guess. Or maybe it's just a bit before a Mexican wave, just where you just kind of it's, it's coming my way. I don't want to screw it up. Is it, coming, is it going to make it all the way to me? I'm not sure. This is the, <laughs> oh, the it's waiting. Fi- it's fizzling out. Oh. <laughs> it was probably a little bit of that in Mexico, I imagine. As well, for one, the hopes of Sergio Perez seemed to decrease over time. Yes. They kept up the enthusiasm, though. It was it's that kind of race, isn't it? It's that we we can't help but talk about that atmosphere when we get to Mexico. It's the biggest thing going around there. Yeah, I mean, it still looks amazing in the stadium section and. And yet still every year I wonder why they chose to put the most boring bit of track (laughs) in the most exciting part of the stadium in the whole year. It does seem weird. (laughs) It's a very Formula One kind of decision, a very Herman Tilke kind of decision, (laughs) but... They all seem pretty happy. My favourite part about that section is how they've got, I think it's I think it's 25,000 or something, some stadium capacity like that. And then they've got about 10 park chairs at the bottom there for them to all, I guess, to sit on at some point. Maybe they have it's lunch. It's very odd, isn't it? It's just, it feels like it's just like one big family who have just brought all their stuff out and gone, is this okay to put it here? <laughs> It's, a, it's it, There's definitely character about the Mexican Grand Prix. We can't deny that. It's one other thing they, of course, always talk about. We may as well start here as well, because it does actually have a, a bearing on the race. But no commentator cannot get through the race without five or six mentions of the altitude of Mexico City. I don't even know how it is. 2,000 meters or something like that? Something like that. And that stat that I heard 7,000 times over the weekend of engines... Uh... <laughs> The, the, the downforce is, we're using more downforce than Monaco, but getting less downforce than Monza. It's like, oh, cool. That's interesting the first time you mm-hmm. hear it. It doesn't really sink in any further after that. I suppose it sank in a little bit for Renault over time because I guess it really hurt them. They had a whole bunch of engine failures in the race, but I think it might have been seven or eight over the course of the whole weekend. Yeah, who'd have thought their their engines must really <laughs> need oxygen? I mean, that must be the one thing. Like, is there Do they go to any places that are like oxygen, more oxygen dense? Like, is there a, is there a country where there's 120% of the oxygen, because then I think Renault would do amazingly. They should find somewhere on the calendar where they can get that sorted out. Venus! <laughs> Venus! If only Eccleston would have taken us there, I feel, but alas, his <laughs> time is over in Formula 1. The spectre of the championship obviously hung heavy over this race. That's what we're all here for. We thought maybe it could have been sorted in Austin, but it was always a bit of a long shot. The opposite was true here, as a long shot for it not to be sorted out. And it's weird going into a race like this, isn't it? Where you, you've got to make this the championship deciding round, but it's also two rounds before the end of the actual season. It's, you know, even if it doesn't get sorted here, that it's going to get sorted eventually. But we've kind of got to try and feel something close to tension, right? Yeah, I mean, it, well, if you look at the results of the whole year, Lewis Hamilton, I don't think, has finished below fifth. He just needs to finish fifth in this race. You know, it's a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. What could possibly go wrong? And yeah, it was quite hard to be like, I don't want to, you know, I, it's going to happen, 
But we can't presume it has to happen because otherwise that takes all the tension away. But it's definitely going to happen. And then it didn't happen, but it did. It's confusing. <laughs> it's very confusing. It sort of got there. It half got there. I liked after qualifying uh, because it was quite close, in fact. It's it's interesting and I suppose positive for next year at very least that we've got the top three teams really seeming to converge on pace at this time of the year. Granted, all the altitude and all that kind of stuff that we've got to talk about, apparently. But I did like when Vettel got out of the car. It almost, he, it almost seemed like he forgot that he was about to lose the championship anyway. Like He was quite happy to be there. Yeah. No, it was. I think... I think they were just surprised there because, I mean, <laughs> it was weird that Hamilton was just there in third after every last like six or seven races just mm-hmm. getting half a second because Mercedes turned their engine up. So it's very odd to have him just sitting there in third and, and yeah, I'm just tapping ahead of them. It was, yeah, it was a slightly odd qualifying that I, I suppose set up a slightly old race yeah and it i mean it got really strange considering the long straight we have in mexico i guess the longer this is going to be on the calendar this is going to be one of those defining circuit oh it's not even a quarter is it? it's just the end of the straight really however long it is it just keeps going from mm. from the start finish line so we got this really interesting uh, i suppose first couple of corners where max verstappen was slipstreaming vettel and hamilton tried to slipstream verstappen and they went three wide into the first turn but it all unraveled there inevitably for some reason the only time we get uh, vettel and hamilton actually racing each other they always seem to have to have contact they can't do it uh, straightforwardly can they is the whole thing was weird i mean yeah because they they always touch and you know maybe there's something they need to sort out amongst themselves <laughs> i'm not sure but um all i all i was i was watching that and all I could think is Hamilton why are you doing this why are you going for that gap why why you're just going to finish fifth and you've won the championship just just sit back and you've got an easy race to third and it's fine and instead he goes up there does what it, I mean to be fair does an almost amazing move mm-hmm. overtaking Vettel that would if, if that had been a clean overtake and he'd have gone into the second corner ahead of Vettel that would have been like a championship-defining, you know, mm. at the very last minute, I'm still beating you. But instead, <laughs> it was this kind of slightly clumsy, and then, yeah, everyone... And it's just like, why did you do it? Just stay third, mate. Just back off. Don't worry about it. I liked that almost immediately, although we don't know exactly how the team radio works when it's broadcast, there was the question, did he do it on purpose? And no one really wanted to... Obviously, he did I mean, unless... I don't know. Maybe someone else has a different perspective. But I like that no one wanted to address it at the time as if, well, if we don't win here, maybe we should just have this one <laughs> yeah. uh, in, up our sleeve, in our back pocket. Could be. Although, have you been on the internet this morning by any chance? Yeah, because, I've tried to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of people, a lot of people saying he definitely did it on purpose in that in that lovely internet conspiracy way of here's a, here's a still <laughs> shot of the race and look, his steering wheel's turning that way. It's like, well, <laughs> He was trying to control Who's that the car. behind the hill over there. <laughs> yeah. It was always going to be like that, wasn't it? I know. So yeah, it's just. I mean, it was a. It was just a. I mean, really, I, I would say if if you look at it without any kind of championship implications, it feels to me it was kind of perfect for Stappen. He was. Mm. He wasn't having any of it. He just barged <laughs> his way through. You know, a little clumsily. You know, he did do a couple of knocks on the way, and I just don't think Vettel was expecting that. And then definitely wasn't expecting Hamilton to be right there as well. So it was just a whole kind of confusion. And when you see these, when you watch replays endlessly, and it's like it's like four seconds worth of time <laughs> replayed endlessly, and you just think, well, 
I know these are the top of their game and these are Formula One drivers, but you know, how do you react in four seconds? It's everything. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, if it was me, I'd just be there going, oh, <laughs> and I'd, they'd all be ahead of me. <laughs> That'd be my entire life. But, oh, I don't, know, I don't know what just happened. That's how my F1 2017 games go, anyway. So I know exactly. I predict to some degree how it works out. I do, if we look over the championship as a whole, uh, and particularly this Vettel and Hamilton um, sort of thing, and perhaps even in particular again when they meet each other on track. It does seem like at key moments, Vettel has lacked that kind of awareness. I think you sort of said it right. You you kind of expect him to react in a certain way, and it, and it just didn't happen. And I wonder if this is sort of... We've never really tested Vettel that well, have we, over his championship-winning years? He's always had a good car and not all that much competition. But maybe this really is trying to answer that question, you know, who is the better driver? We're comparing him the same year. And, and Hamilton has come off the better driver many times so far this year. I think you're right, because Ferrari really have thrown away a golden opportunity this year. Like mm. I think I think I, there were some stats I read that were, if Baku hadn't happened, like if Vettel had won that one, and if he had not crashed at the start of Singapore, mm-hmm. and the spark plug hadn't gone wrong, then I think he would have gone into this race maybe six points ahead still. Mm-hmm. And it, so... It's just mistakes that have cost Ferrari this championship. You know, Hamilton's been there the whole way, you know, and he's consistent and all the stuff you need to win a championship. But Vettel and Ferrari have had the car. And on two occasions, and maybe slightly on this occasion, even though it's, you know, it's almost redundant, (laughs) it's Vettel's anger or having a little strop that has ruined it, Mm. really. To the point that it wouldn't surprise me if Vettel said, I'm going to do the spark plugs, and he screwed that up as well. It's just like, I don't want you people doing it. I'm going to do my own spark plugs, put it upside down. No one wants to say that. I think they accused him of trying to do too many things other than driving last year. So you never know. Maybe that's he retained that in negotiations last year. and it's just gone. All I want is driving and spark plugs. Is that too much My to boyhood ask? passions. You won't take this away from me. <laughs> It's uh, what a picture we painted there, Sebastian Vettel. Uh, they fell to the back. This is how their strategic race unfolded because most drivers, as has been the case, I think, at every Mexican Grand Prix, were banking on a one stop because degradation is so incredibly low around Mexico because of the lack of downforce, because of the type of, of asphalt they've got there. Yes, did you know there's there's 20% less oxygen <laughs> in the air? I think I heard that once. This it must have been last year, maybe, fact. that someone mentioned that. Uh, it was going to be a one, so you probably could have done the whole race on ultra soft tyres, which is incredible to think you have a tyre called ultra soft, and yet it, it does the whole distance. Certainly the softs could have done the whole distance, and that's what Vettel and Hamilton were originally banking on, assuming there wasn't going to be any other cause to stop. Uh, and at first, despite Hamilton and Mercedes normally being quite strong on the soft this year, Hamilton was kind of a bit nowhere, and we learned there was damage on his car, but when Vettel sort of saw the opportunity to, to make a gap against Hamilton and progress up the field, he did so. But Hamilton was really stuck. And I was worried for a little bit that maybe he'll still win the championship, but we'll have like the mopey Hamilton winning the championship because it seemed to be going like that. The whole, yeah, it was very strong. I mean, yeah, afterwards, I've seen a picture since where I think half the diffuser basically was mm-hmm. knocked off during that first lap thing. So it makes sense why he couldn't get that close. But yeah, it did seem to be... Like, this is just a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> We're going to have Hamilton coming last in the race and somehow winning the championship. And then he's going to be all grumpy. But, um, but yeah, it was it was just peculiar, wasn't it? Like, you couldn't, you almost couldn't write it. You couldn't make mm-hmm. it up and go, okay, there's going to be a crash at the start. And the two people that are going to be affected are Vettel and Hamilton. <laughs> and they're both going to then just have a really weird race in traffic. That's just, it's unfathomable. Mm. 
Like the, the main battle of this round was going to be Hamilton trying to pass Pascal Verlaine. I know. It doesn't make any sense to consider it. Yeah, it was suddenly, like, I suddenly thought of, hang on, have I got the F1 channel on? And am I looking at a 2007, a 2010 race where Hamilton's in a rubbish McLaren and we can't do anything? Because this is what's going on. It just didn't make any sense whatsoever. Although I did like the bit where uh, Hamilton and Alonso had a bit of an argy party. Mm. That was that was fun. Although I'm skipping ahead, I know, but that was dramatic. Well, we can talk about that since Alonso he had a pretty straightforward race. He scored a point. That doesn't matter so much. I think what was interesting here was that, and throughout the weekend, we can say this: McLaren was quite competitive at a circuit where okay so we know that it, it it does rely a lot on the chassis as Alonso was saying he loves to say how good his chassis is just to make sure everyone knows that his engine's not that good but the engine was also fine it or fine relatively speaking because that whole it was almost five or six maybe even as many as 10 laps he was fighting with Hamilton and and keeping him behind I mean it must be terrifying for McLaren that they've signed this Renault deal and suddenly Renault have nosedived <laughs> into reliability and and the Hondas well both Hondas lasted the race but I mean they, they had about 10 engines over the weekend didn't they so it's mm-hmm. not exactly uh, great but yeah I mean this McLaren is this the great unknown of this era of Formula 1 like is this McLaren car actually mm-hmm. a really good car and it's been totally stymied by this terrible engine and then but is it all talk is next year I said I mean what what do McLaren expect next year? This is my endless fascination. It's like, are they seriously thinking they can mm-hmm. win races or are they just going to be like, you know, Force India kind of level? <laughs> and it's just, it's, hard, it's impossible to know. And it's impossible to know what's going to be a good result for them because anything is a good result <laughs> compared to the last three years. Just, just, just turning up will be enough. There must be so much nervousness inside McLaren to know that they're going to have the same engine as Red Bull Racing, for example, or even Renault, who are getting better every weekend when their engines are still running, obviously. But... It is. It's such a fantastic unknown. What happens if they do come out of the blocks that are no good? Is it going to be, well, you should have had the engine last year. You should have given it to us. We were much better then. Exactly. I mean, I mean, the regulations are staying pretty static mm. next year, aren't they? I, th- I mean, they've, apart from the uh, the lovely halo. Yes. Um, so you'd feel that anything they've got in their car, if the chassis is this good as Alonso says now, then it should be that good next year. Mm. Well, you'd think so. You'd think. Hopefully. But this is Formula 1. Yeah. This, this is Formula 1. Certainly, uh, all we can hope for at very minimum for McLaren is a better colour of orange. And if we can get that, then everyone will probably be happy for at I least mean, one more contract. I still think that colour of orange loses them a tenth a lap because <laughs> that is wrong and I, I hate it. And <laughs> and just, I mean, it's, it begs belief that they, they launched with that colour. And it, <laughs> just, they, they've got, I mean, they've got the original there in the factory. They just, they just need one of those like paint matching services at a <laughs> DIY store. Just this color, please. Anyway, it's uh, another round. It's a serious issue, but one perhaps they could address over the the off season. Uh, if we go back to Hamilton, one thing worth noting. I mean, he was lapped really quickly. It's a short lap here. It's lapped by Max Verstappen, which probably was very upsetting for him, contributed to his mood, but. I, this makes him, and because he can, he was lapped for the whole race. He was never able to unlap himself. He never had a safety car or anything. I, I'm fairly sure this is correct. But the first, and such a minor fact, but the first champion to win the title lapped down uh, since James Hunt in 1976. I don't know how he feels about that. I don't know how anyone else feels about that. But I thought that was a worthwhile statistic. It is. Isn't, that's fascinating, isn't it? It's just. It's just. I mean, you've got to feel for Liberty with their mm. coming in, bit of razzle-dazzle, all this kind of stuff. They've got everything set up for a groundbreaking, <laughs> exciting end to a championship. Then Vettel ruins it by crashing at <laughs> Singapore. And then we have this 
that we have this race where the championship's being decided. And where is our champion? <laughs> is he on the top step of the... Pa- no, he's, he's down, he's lapped. He's, he's not doing very well. It's, don't worry about it, it's fine. This is what... F- you can almost tell all the old all the old school people are there going to Liberty. Yeah. Sorry, this is just what Ford was like. <laughs> it's usually a little bit disappointing. <laughs> Get used to it. <laughs> usually lets you down. It's about this time of year. Yeah. It normally happens like this. It is a little bit like that. But nonetheless, he managed to make that work. What was interesting, though, and where this race livened up a little bit more, where Sebastian Vettel was, I suppose, given a second lifeline, if you like, to maybe try and close that gap was on lap 31, Brendan Hartley, a Renault-powered Toro Rosso, unsurprisingly, uh, gave up in a, in a plume of smoke and everyone decided to pit, or almost everybody. Some of the drivers who had pit early in the race, uh, Felipe Massa's one of them, uh, likewise Pascal Verlein didn't really do very much for them as a decide, yeah. but well, they had to go anyway. Uh, they all stopped. Everyone else stopped for new tyres, and Vettel had a spare set of ultra soft tyres. He was able to use them and and really closed down the top of the field quite quickly to the point where for a second you almost thought, oh maybe it could be on here. All it would have taken, I suppose, was a safety car ride, and maybe we would have actually had a different result. I mean, it was very close at one point, wasn't it? Because I mean, with all the Renaults going, there was no guarantee mm. that Verstappen was going to keep it on the track, and then obviously Raikkonen would have yielded to Vettel had he come anywhere near and then suddenly you just think actually a second place yeah it was one instant away from that being quite possible and unfortunately for Vettel never happened and it was a bit weird there was no safety car because hasn't there always been a safety car at Mexico I'm sure I think that's yeah I think that's probably correct actually that's also a fine statistic I guess this is a virtual safety car era now where we don't seem to need them it's I always wonder you know speaking of conspiracies there's always that conspiracy I think Hamilton had one earlier where they call safety cars tactically in Formula One I suppose there's probably evidence of it not because this would have been the perfect time yeah that would have been a great time for a safety car nobody would have moaned about it it would have bunched the field up and, you know, in that way that kind of IndyCar and NASCAR do that, this race is getting a bit boring, <laughs> let's just shove out a, safe, a pace car and get one bunch up. I don't think Ford One should ever go down that road of making it that obvious, but I think Ford One should definitely do that <laughs> because sometimes races get a bit boring and spread out. So bunch it all up, have a bit of a title battle. And it was, and wasn't it wasn't it this virtual safety car that meant that poor old uh, Ocon lost his third place mm-hmm. because... Yeah, because he'd already pitted, hadn't? That's, yeah, he'd already pitted, so he didn't he didn't gain from that virtual safety car. And I think Raikkonen cheated and got into third place. <laughs> Classic Raikkonen. Yes, Classic there were Raikkonen. three drivers who missed out on this virtual safety car benefit. Two of them were Force India cars. Perez and Ocon pitted on lap eighteen and and twenty, and Marcus Ericsson on twenty eight. He was right there. If only he'd waited two more laps. Although his engine caught fire towards the end of the race anyway, so it doesn't really mean anything. But Ocon was on for a podium, a podium that would have crushed Sergio Perez and all of his fans, but a podium for him that would have made him happy. But it wasn't to be precisely because of that. And it's interesting considering that how early they pitted on those ultra soft tires. No one else really felt a need to stop so early, considering there was so little degradation. Even the tires themselves had not very much performance difference between them. It was maximum a second from ultra soft to soft thereabouts. Uh, I suppose, obviously, it's in retrospect, but you could even make the argument at the time that that was just a, a strategic error on Force India's part. No, I think so. I don't know why. I mean, unless there was any problems with their cars. It seems odd that they both did it. Mm-hmm. They, they both came in about the same time. So it was either there was something in their data or they just they just thought everyone else was about to pit mm. and no one else did. It does seem 
strange. Just a feeling in the air. Nico Hulkenberg did it as well. They were in a battle with Hulkenberg, and this should have been a really interesting fight for the podium because Lance Stroll was also up there for some reason. They were all ahead of Kimi Raikkonen after that first lap. And, I mean, you do wonder, had that played out, and Vettel eventually got up to fourth, obviously, so theoretically ahead of all of them had it finished like that. What if Raikkonen had let Vettel down in that situation by not being in third place to to help that recovery? Exactly. Can you imagine? Can you, can you just imagine if, if Raikkonen, or, or the other way around, if Raikkonen had got himself into the lead and had Bottas between them and Verstappen, mm. so Raikkonen couldn't, <laughs> Raikkonen couldn't get over it. I, I would, I would move over, but there are other people <laughs> in the way. Uh, yeah, I mean it's. That whole part of the grid is... I mean, we've had Stroll with a podium earlier in the year. I mean, Ocon's been in the third place in about three races, I think. Mm. At certain times, you suddenly look up and go, is that a mistake <laughs> or is Ocon... No, Ocon is definitely there. And, yeah, just... And I suppose it's I suppose it's a good thing for Formula 1 as a whole because you've got the... You know, after years of it being Hamilton and Rosberg, first and second, and then the rest doesn't really matter. <laughs> actually, the kind of... Third, fourth, down to about seventh is these days always a little bit of a jumble, which has got to be a good thing because it just takes one thing to happen, like Hamilton and Vettel to hit each other. (laughs) And suddenly you have these really weird podiums and really weird points scoring positions. It's If you go to, I think James Allen publishes a particularly good one, uh, like a lap chart that isn't just position, but divides everything up by time. So you can really see the gaps Mm. between the cars as the race progresses. It's sort of... And it's got to be something that hopefully will improve over the coming years, maybe through the regulations. But it's really actually quite devastating to see how far ahead by the end of the race the top three teams are from everybody else. And it really does take a situation like uh, Vettel and Hamilton hitting each other to allow them to to come up to podium contention because on regular pace, they're just not there unless obviously Raikkonen botches the start or something like that because they're normally so slow. So, I mean, hopefully that'll be something from next year that, that might improve and we can see this on, on more regular merit, I suppose. Yeah, because this is starting to feel a little bit like uh, Le Mans or something mm. where you've got the B-spec cars, they've got different <laughs> coloured headlights and, you know, they're driven by amateurs because, yeah, there's no way... I mean, apart from the all of the Red Bulls, Mercedes and uh, Ferraris crashing out, I can't imagine uh, Force India winning a race. And... Because even, I mean, I don't think they've got one this year, have they? But like Perez has had a few mm. podiums in the last couple of years and stuff. And it just, that just feels, that, that feels literally impossible this year that you could have a Force India on a podium unless it was a crazy wet race or crashy race. Yeah, and exactly as it, as it proved here where mm. it, it possibly could have happened, but they sort of shot themselves in the foot a little bit with Raikkonen. I know Raikkonen obviously has not been in contention for the championship even for some time, maybe 10 years since he won his last one, realistically. And even that one, he, he kind of fluked a bit, really. I mean, <laughs> Didn't even really seem that into it at the time. <laughs> yeah. He still doesn't seem into it now, though. And this has got to be the question, you know, Ferrari's got a lot of reflection to do now, right? We've said that they've sort of thrown this opportunity away. Certainly they've thrown the opportunity away, if not what should have been a championship were it not for mistakes. But while Raikkonen was there in this particular race only just by jumping the Force India cars, had Vettel been able to close that gap and, and needed to score the points from his position, he hasn't really been there for most of the rest of the year. He clearly hasn't taken enough points off Bottas or Hamilton had the situation arisen to, to do anything in the constructors' standings. Didn't seem very interested after the race, completely unperturbed by that weird rotating 
DJ on the podium, Weird. just swigged his champagne and moved on, as he tends to do. Surely he can't go another year after next year like this. Well, you'd say that, but also surely he can't do next year, and that, yet they've signed him. So yeah. it does, or even, even this year seemed unlikely, and here he is. <laughs> I mean, he's a perfect teammate for Vettel's ego I think I just don't think he cares he he seems to be resigned to not being able to win a championship again and just you know driving around for money and Ferraris but it (laughs) does I mean I I feel that this year he has been helped immensely by Bottas not being great in in a way that Mm -hmm. both Vettel and Hamilton have just always been like first and second and then the other two drive the other two teammates have always been behind them. It's been a very strange year that you know Bottas has done some okay races, but never been too too exciting. And I think if Bottas, if say it was still Rosberg in the second Mercedes, then I think Raikkonen would look even worse this year. But he's been flattered slightly by Bottas being a little flat himself. <laughs> Are we missing Rosberg? Is Formula One missing Rosberg? We thought God, we just, never would. I just said that, didn't I? I can't believe it. No, no. <laughs> Beep, beep that out. Bleep that bit out. I never yeah. said it. <laughs> it's all been edited out. No one will ever hear it. Absolutely not. Somewhere in all the, the ticker tape of Liberty Media's ownership and all the, the DJs and, and Michael Buffer introductions and CGI Eagles, which we finally got an answer to this weekend, actually. Oh, do we? I didn't hear. Oh, was that fake? Apparently, it was fake. Yes. This is what I, I think Sky Sports said it or somebody said it. that. Apparently, it was uh, a, a very secret salute, seeing as nobody knew anything about it, to the Native Americans in the area. I don't know. Maybe that were they all watching NBC in the United States? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sh- I'm sure the Native Americans were loving that massive tarmac thing that had been built on their <laughs> grounds. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, this will make it up to them, won't it? Yeah, yeah. we've got a bunch of people buried under that track, but don't worry about it. A shadow of an eagle that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> It's very strange. Anyway, we've become distracted. We look at Sorry, yes, we have. It's easy. The done. way the top three were sorted, Verstappen, Bottas, and Raikkonen had the most straightforward races of everybody. They pitted on lap 32. Ultra soft to super soft for the top two. Raikkonen only had a set of softs, so he moved to them. Uh, Vettel eventually was able to finish fourth, but he was almost a minute behind Bottas, which was the goal for him, the second place he needed for the points. Ocon finished fifth, but Lance Stroll, we've got to talk briefly about Lance Stroll. He also had a very straightforward strategic race, but it seems like his most impressive results come when he doesn't actually have to really do anything other than not crash. It was the same with Azerbaijan. He sort of just rocked up on the podium all of a sudden because everyone was falling over around him. Maybe that's his strength. This is how he's going to win races, by not really doing anything. Well, it's true, because he's had this kind of crazy, uh, obviously, a huge amount of money put in by his father, testing program with Williams, mm-hmm. where they go to all the tracks with an older car, and he drives around on his own. So that's yeah, what he's yeah. used to. When there's other cars there, he's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I thought we'd pay to have all these other people out of the way. So, yeah. So I think that's just what he's best at, is just being on his own, which I guess is a rich kid thing. <laughs> All the other kids at school don't want to play with him because he's weird, so it's fine. <laughs> it's the way he lives his life, and it turned into a fine result. And we can contrast that, and I know Massa had a, I think it was a puncture at the start of the race, which is why he he stopped on lap three and tried to do the whole race. But Stroll now leads Massa in the championship, which is something I don't think anyone would have been prepared to bet on this year. And yes, Massa has had some extenuating circumstances. He had some races where he could have scored highly and wasn't able to for technical reasons, but... 
I mean, what do we make of this, especially in a time where Mass is saying things like, well, you know, if the team knew who they were going to sign, if they wanted a real driver next year, of course they'd sign me. Meanwhile, there's a 19-year-old beating him in the standings. It's, I mean, it's very, I mean, he's he's not the driver he was. And it's, it's like, I remember when I first started watching Formula One, you'd have all these kind of names that meant nothing to me because I was like nine years old. Mm-hmm. We'd have like PK and Alberetto and Arnoux driving around and they were just these guys at the back that were a bit rubbish. And then you're going to read about them and go, oh, this guy's a world champion. <laughs> this guy won races. And like Massa is the same thing. It's like if you're 10 years old mm-hmm. now watching Formula One, there is nothing to show that Massa was very nearly world champion one year. Like He is just a shadow of himself. Obviously, after the accident, he never seemed to properly come back to true form. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just feel like... I mean, a bit like Raikkonen in a way, but it's just like, come on, it's, it's time to time to hang up your helmet, mate. Mm, especially if, you know, we talk about the potential of Kubica being in the other car, or apparently Daniel Kvyat now, just because he's been sacked by Red Bull Racing. At least if Williams bring him back, they can sack him every other week and allow Verstappen to win some more races, because it's three from three now. Yeah, there should be some kind of Red Bull... Sp- if, we, if we see Red Bull sponsorship on the Williams next year, <laughs> <laughs> just go, right, every strategic race, we need uh, Verstappen... To win, so we'll just get rid of Kvyat. But then saying that, it's, I was, I was just going to say with Kvyat, it's odd because I, I didn't think he'd done that badly this year. But then you look at the kind of points difference between him and Signs, mm. it's dramatic. And I was quite surprised when I actually kind of looked at that info because it was without realizing. I thought they were kind of on a par pretty much. But Kvyat just, like, I think he's scored like five points over the year. It's not, it's not looking. I mean, I know he's been dumped from a few races. It's very hard to score when you're not racing, but. Mm. Uh, it also seems quite hard to score when he is. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it was the... I'm not sure if it was true because he scored in Austin, but I think before that, it was true to say that he had more penalty points than actual points. Oh. So, you know, he was scoring something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, every, every, it's always a, there's always something at the end of the day you can tick, aren't you? So, <laughs> bless him. It's similar Blessing. as well. I wanted to make the the last note McLaren, but before we talk about that, we should I'll, I'll briefly mention Carlos Sainz because him and Nico Hulkenberg obviously never got to finish their races. They had technical problems. I think Sainz's car just wasn't steering straight at all, which is fairly serious <laughs> yeah. as far as Formula One problems go. Uh, he's another driver where if you were to think to, to think that when he scored in Austin, his first race in uh, first race for Renault, he was the first. Renault driver that wasn't Nico Hulkenberg to score points this year is kind of incredible and it's it's interesting how quickly we've forgotten Jolien Palmer was a driver who oh exactly right sorry uh yeah uh I know I mean it's yeah just the fact that they they were both in Q3 that Renault's and that I think that's the first time that's happened and it's mm. just yeah it's not Palmer wasn't really cut out for uh for life <laughs> for the one, I mean. uh, just Bless him. I mean, he he tried his... Well, he tried, didn't he? Maybe. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure he did. <laughs> but maybe it'll come out in the autobiography, which we'll look forward to reading. Uh, I couldn't even imagine what you'd call that that book. Um, Joyless. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about Alonso. He had a pretty feisty race, uh, briefly on Stoffel van Dorn, because for all, as well as you can race, and he raced more or less as well as Fernando Alonso on a similar strategy. Alonso did pass him early in the race. It was a team pit stop that undid him. It was five seconds he lost in his only pit stop. They had one opportunity and they screwed it up, uh, McLaren. We talk about how perfect McLaren is without Honda, maybe not so much. Uh, and that lost him a place too, Felipe Massa, uh, who we've just finished talking about. 
Uh, and I suppose it does show. We, we, it's interesting because we talk about, and I, I think the average, uh, let's say, casual viewer who might uh, drop in and out of Formula One is always really impressed with how fast the pit stops are and, and how well they're executed. But there are still so many situations where Formula One teams are not getting that basic thing right. And it, it does have a material effect. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's all too efficient. I mean, you need more more mistakes in these kind of things makes it more interesting. This is. Mm. Everything's my, my issue with Formula One these days is that everything is too good. We need some more. I mean, having was it Hartley with the engine smoking? Mm-hmm. That's the first time I've seen an engine smoke and blow up for ages in Formula One because yeah. they always go, "Oh, the engine's going to blow up on the next lap, so uh, we'll <laughs> we'll pit it." It's like, no, let it go. Just <laughs> and like pit stops are the same. It's like, oh, nothing ever goes wrong anymore. And if a pit stop does go wrong, it's just because they stare at it for like an extra half a second and then they let it go. It's like, come on. What about the days when they bring out the wrong tires or someone's not ready or they go into the wrong pit box? Come on, we need more of this. Mm. More, the, more mistakes. The sudden fuel fires and things like that. Exactly. All of that. Need it all back in Formula 1. That's yeah. where the excitement really is, surely. Definitely. Uh, we can start with a five-second delay in a pit stop, and it can only get more exciting from there, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. That was the way that the strategy unfolded for this race. What little strategy there was, in fact, uh, for engines not blowing up amongst those drivers, and for Sebastian Vettel attempting, desperately attempting, to, well, really only prolong the inevitable, I suppose, and take the championship fight one more round. Uh, it ended, I mean, it was a strange race. It was a strange Grand Prix, and it ended in the strangest way with some weird half-hearted celebration some people fell over trying to chase lewis hamilton it was just a bit of a strange grand prix i think at the end perhaps fitting considering the way this this season has gone to close it like that definitely it was all a bit odd i mean no one no one likes to have a championship that you can decide just by finishing fifth no matter what the other guy does because if we go back to hamilton's 2008 win Mm -hmm. He had to finish fifth or he wouldn't win the championship. But here, it was if he doesn't finish fifth, he might still win. And if he doesn't win, he'll win it next week. And it's just like, yeah, there's no kind of jeopardy there. It's like, oh, when's he going to do it? Although there was a point, I must say, when my blood kind of went cold when I realised if Hamilton was to retire and then Vettel went on to win this race, mm-hmm. then he's got his championship hopes alive. And then you just think, this is Formula One. Hamilton could retire from the next two races through no fault of his own or or through getting too tense and crashing out. And it, I suddenly saw this kind of path of going, <laughs> we think this is all going to definitely happen for Hamilton, but there is a chance it won't. In the same way that you wouldn't expect Ferrari just for suddenly throwing away three races mm-hmm. this season. Like suddenly thinking, oh my God, this can happen. This can actually happen. And then it didn't. And that made it more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was that kind of race. The championship's over, but there are still two more Grand Prix to go. And where can people find you for those last two races? You can hear more of my views on Formula One on uh, our podcast for Formula One's sake, which is at www.ff1s.com, where we'll rant about the various things in the race. And it's not always as polite or as family friendly. (laughs) Well, maybe it depends on the family, I guess. But Terry, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show for the last, well, maybe meaningful race of the season. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been fun to talk about this this very fun race i mean i feel sorry if i sound out of breath during this but there's 20 percent less oxygen did you know that I've, I've had my i've had my flat especially uh, for every race i rig it in a special way this has been very expensive you're a method formula one viewer i like <laughs> That was the strategy report for the 2017 Mexican Grand Prix. 
But if you want to read more about the strategy from this week's race, go to f1strategyreport.com for the pit stop stats, tyre data, and the write-up of all the action from Mexico City. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or your podcasting app of choice, and be sure to give us a cheeky rating to help other people stumble across the show. The Strategy Report is powered by the 2017 edition of Apex Race Manager, which you can download for free for iOS and Android devices. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time when we look back at the Brazilian Grand Prix.